So I think tonight might be kind of short, but I always think that, and like somehow it doesn't happen. I think it's going to be kind of short tonight only because I don't have the answer to the question. I emailed some of our scholars and residents like five weeks ago, and I didn't get the answers back, so I don't have any answers to give you tonight. But here's the questions we have been covering. You could see the questions on the screen talking about does prayer change God's mind, this, the intersection between God's sovereignty and our prayers, why pray if he knows what you need? Does it change circumstances or just us? We've gone through these questions as well. Is it because we lack the faith that we don't get what we want? Is there something to more people praying for stuff? Does God answer prayers for those who have the gift of intercession? We've camped out through all of those questions. Here's where we've been the last couple weeks. Why won't God heal amputees? We evaluated that video and critiqued it a little bit. And if prayer is supposed to be a conversation with God... Well, what's going on there? Because I don't always hear something back. And that's kind of where we were going last week when we hit another question, and that's what this one is. If it's true that I'm going to hear from God, how do I distinguish between God's voice and my own voice in my head? That's actually what we're trying to answer tonight. That's why I don't know how far we're going to get. That's a very difficult question to answer. Before I go there, there, let me just put up this. A couple weeks ago, when we were dealing with this video, Why Won't God Heal Amputees, there was some discussion in the room. And one of the comments that was made was, well, wait a minute, the video seems to assume that prayer cannot heal people because prayer doesn't work. And somebody said, but there's been studies that show that prayer does help heal people. I'm not going to go into it because it's a long and complicated thing. I'm going to do something that I'm going to try as a tool and see if it works. I'm going to point you to our blog because... I actually wrote something and posted it on the blog. There's a number of prayer studies and analysis of it. And just by, I don't know, coincidence or maybe just by happenstance, Christianity Today just published an article on the very same topic. And in it, they cite a study where they divided people into three groups. One group, they knew they were being prayed for. One group was being prayed for without their knowledge. The third one was not being prayed for at all. And they were all getting the same kind of heart surgery. In fact, it was the largest study of its kind. It was over 10 years, and they studied 1,800 patients. Very thorough study. In the end, it turned out that the group that didn't get any prayer did better than everybody else. So if you want to analyze that and understand it, go read the blog posting. I'll point you to it. Some people say, I don't know where our blog is. Well, there's the address for our blog. Or you could just go to the main page and just click on the word blog. You know, it's like that, that would be one way to find it. Not hard to find. But I just posted it today, and I thought, I'll try something new. Rather than spend 10 minutes trying to explain this, you can go check it out and read. And if you want the article, we can give you the article as well that was published. So that's just something that I want to tie up because we had this discussion. And during that discussion, I said, hey, some of those studies are controversial because we get differing results. And now there's been some talk about one that was a long-time study. doesn't seem to go so well. What's the implications? Read it on our blog, and you'll see some of my comments about it. Let's move on. Last week, the questions we started attacking were these. Is prayer supposed to be relational? If there's a dialogue going back, am I supposed to hear back from God? Is that what's supposed to be happening? Are we supposed to approach God as king, friend, or both? And how often should we pray? Here are the answers that we put up. So we said, yeah, it's supposed to be relational. Yes, it's supposed to be a dialogue. We said God is both friend and and king. In fact, he's a lot of other things too. I've cited John 12 for you to look at. I'm sorry, John 15, 12 through 15 for you to look at where he identifies himself as friend. 
And finally, the idea of praying without ceasing was something we put up. Some of you didn't like it. Some of you said, well, I'm not really sure that means pray continually. Maybe it just means don't ever give up on praying. Philip. It might just be a semantic difference, but I think that it's extremely important to make that semantic difference. I don't, I don't know if it's supposed to be relational. I think maybe our life with God or like how our service to God is supposed to be relational or and like and in some sense like yes God communicates to us or speaks to us whatever that means but I don't know if that's prayer and you might say hey well that doesn't matter like if it's not prayer who cares we'll name it something else but I think that having a separation there is extremely important because when we pray expecting to hear back from God and then don't we think okay well prayer is pointless like we're not hearing back from God but I, I feel like I mean, I'm not sure of this, like, but I'm sort of like positing that like prayer is just a one-way communication, and that God may communicate back to us, but that's not prayer, what it is at all. Like, it, I mean, I think we have His Word. We do one of those four things we had last week of like angels or whatnot coming down in our dreams and visions, but I, I struggle to see where we can define prayer in the same English word we use in the Bible that's used in the Bible prayer, like that's supposed to be relational. Or, I think if we limit prayer to a one-way dialogue, then that definition is equally artificial. I don't think we can say prayer is a one-way dialogue, and then God may speak back, but that's not part of prayer. I also think you're right that it's hard to say that prayer will always be a two-way dialogue, because then that means that any time you're not hearing back immediately, then you're not praying. So I think you're right, somewhere in between those. But to say that prayer is just our communication one way precludes the fact that we are in a relationship with God. We have been given the right to speak to him. And he will occasionally, and I put the word speak in quotes, speak back to us. I don't think you could say, well, that's not part of prayer. Jeremy? I think that maybe a way to think about this in terms of what Phil was suggesting is that when we see God, especially working in the Hebrew scriptures, it's not that these individuals were engaged in any prayer at all. I mean, God simply communicated, whether it was through a burning bush or through this or through that. And I think that's what's so interesting about it is we don't have in the text, and then Moses prayed, and then God appeared in the burning bush and, and told him what to do in response to his prayer. And even if we take the example of Jesus, I don't know that we always get the response that God gives. I mean, you certainly get the idea that Jesus is somehow discerning something, but whether that's part of his triune nature, hypostatic union thing, I mean, that, that that's the hard part about Jesus. Is what it is. I think we may be trying too hard to put right angles to things. The, the point is that I don't think we can define it as prayer is us talking and that's it. The two examples you gave predate the Holy Spirit's participation with us in prayer. And that's why I think we have to move past them. We can't really, in our life as Christians, look at the Old Testament examples only when it comes to prayer because it's changed. The other part of it is to expect that God will always be speaking back every time we're speaking is the opposite extreme. I think we have to hold those in tension and say, is prayer supposed to be part of the relationship? Absolutely. Because Scripture tells us that it's the very right that we've been given as a birthright to even speak to the Father. That's the spirit of adoption that Paul keeps referring to. That's the thing that gives us the right to pray to him intimately, to pray to him directly, 
to pray to him without the presence of a priest doing it for us. All of those ideas are given to us because of this. And that's part of the idea of him also speaking back in partnership with our spirit, his spirit and our spirit together. I would say, though, that it's not just prayer, which is relational. All things that we do are relational. So why do we put put such a huge emphasis on only hearing, on discerning what God says to us through the mode of prayer alone? Okay, that's a good question. Remember, these are the questions that were asked by you. I'm responding to somebody's question, is this prayer supposed to be relational? The implication is there's people in this room who feel like, I don't think there's any part of the relationship. I mean, you're right. It may be greater than prayer. The relationship with God is not limited to prayer. But the question here is, is prayer part of the relationship at all? Because I never get anything back from you, God. I mean, it's really kind of more of an honest cry. So you can look at it and say, when someone's saying, is it supposed to be? We can rephrase it. It's supposed to be part of the relationship? Is this a two-part communication? Or am I just supposed to just stand here and repeat words and not expect anything back? I think that's the deeper question that people are asking. Not to try to nail it down in a way that says, okay, let's get the definition straight. Because the person who's asking the question is saying, well, if it's supposed to be a dialogue, and there's a, there's a presupposition there. Is it supposed to be a dialogue? Am I supposed to hear something back? Well, yes. But again, it depends on what you mean by hear something back. Like how often? How would it come? What would you expect it to be? So what I'm trying to nail more is the questions that people are asking about is there anything supposed to come back? Is this part of a relationship or not? And I think it is part of the relationship. Andrew. The expectation that people have on prayer and say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm having a conversation, I'm communicating, and I'm, I'm expecting a response. A lot of times people you know, do the nightly prayers. and um, I've heard the analogy of you pick up the telephone, you talk and talk and talk, go, okay, good night, hang up the phone. You're not waiting for that response. There's the there's a waiting. Um, set forth the prayer, and he'll now take that and say, "Okay, this is my response." He can respond to you verbally and speak directly to you, or he can send someone along, or he can. I'm sure you've mentioned different ways that God can respond to you. Well, let's look at some of them because I think this is what's giving us a little bit of trouble. There are four ways that are easy to identify in Scripture that some of us want to hear from God in this way. We said they're an audible voice, an angelic visitation, a vision, or a dream. God could certainly do that. In fact, we also said that these things are rare. They aren't the norm in the relationship that we seem to have. And I also said that just like we tend to over-attribute things to miracles, we tend to over-search for these types of responses. This is the preferred method for us. And I think if we were really honest, I mean, really down to our core, I think this is the God we want, if we could have some sort of way to deal with God. It's certainly the God I want. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but it's the God I want. I'd like to go into my room and ask God a question and hear the answer audibly. I'd like to hear it out loud, not in any other way. I mean, maybe the vision thing is okay and the dream thing is okay if I'm really, really busy and he needs to get my attention. He could do it at night. But what I'd really like is to have a conversation with God. In my room, on a mountaintop, it doesn't matter. I want to ask a question. I want to pray. I want to hear the response. Maybe you're not like that. Maybe you've never wanted that. But I think a lot of us do. So when we hear that it's rare that God does that, 
I mean, you could probably find a hundred examples in Scripture where he does that, uses one of these methods. But if you consider that Scripture spans more than 4,000 years, that's not a very good average of how often God is using these methods. So last week we ended up here. Maybe it's this that he uses. What we refer to as the still small voice. Maybe that's how God speaks to us. And we defined it as God speaking to us using our own thought processes, even though we're still kind of in control of our faculties, even though we're still in control of our bodies. Not like he comes over and takes us over. Now, last week, in fairness, when we put this up on the screen and I cited 1 Kings 19, Philip later, when we were talking, asked a question. He goes, hey, uh, do you think there's something other than this one verse in the Old Testament that, wrote, that gives us an example? Because if we're going to base a communication method with God, it should be probably more than on just this one verse. And I think, in fairness, that's a very good call-out. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Romans 8. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you, although I commend that you read this chapter, because Romans 8 is is a great chapter. In fact, go back and read Romans 7. Read all of Romans, actually. It's like a good way to get the context for what's going on here. Because I'm going to dive right in to the middle of a verse, just to give you an example. So I'm going to do what I tell you not to do, which is just to you know quickly jump to a text without reading around it. But the discussion that I was having with Philip was, Once we begin in Pentecost, in the book of Acts, there's a new thing going on. The Spirit now is indwelling the believer. So that's why I was saying a moment ago, like some of these Old Testament examples, and even Jesus himself, there's something different going on when the church is inaugurated, because the Holy Spirit is in us. That means the Holy Spirit is prompting us. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of each of us, and it changes things. Look just briefly at verses 26 and 27. This is just talking about how the Spirit partners with us. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That's just one example There are numerous others in Scripture that talks about how the Spirit partners with us in prayer. Now, in this particular case, this is more talking about how the Spirit will pray even on our behalf if necessary, but other verses imply that He'll actually give words or prompt us to consider the things that we need to pray for and the things that need to come to mind. The reason I bring that up is, yes, Philip is right. We shouldn't just rely on some citation from 1 Kings especially now that we're indwelt by the Spirit. There's numerous examples that show. So here's the question that we kind of ended with. Is it strange that God would use our thoughts as a way of communicating with us in prayer? How would that work, for example? Well, many of the people who talk about this say that as our minds are wandering in prayer, and maybe you're thinking that they're just moving all over the place, that somehow the Spirit can prompt the thought that is supposed to be the response from God. And that's what led us to tonight's dilemma, which is how do I know the difference between my thoughts and what God is doing? But first, I just want to find out, do you think it's even strange that we would be focused on something like that instead of some other method? Um, It seems to be more like the Spirit's leading you on how to pray. And even when I would say here, like what to pray for, like the Holy Spirit will give you the words of what to pray for. 
that's not God's response. If God leads me to like pray for this person, like Ethan brought up an example, pray for someone that you hadn't thought of in a long time, you hadn't been praying about, and then it was something that apparently needed prayer. Well, yeah, that's not God responding to me. That's just God telling me what to pray for, which is awesome and good and a great thing. But that's not God responding to my prayer or like my other prayers. I think you continually define prayer as the act of you speaking, and I think that's incorrect. I think that you think of prayer continually as like, okay, I'm going to now do this activity. So that if God didn't speak to you in the midst of that time that you left open, that he's not talking back during prayer. You're putting God on your timetable. You're saying, okay, now I'm going to say our Father, and now I'm going to do some stuff, and I'm going to wait for a few minutes. Okay, the prayer time is closed. If you speak to me at any other time, that's not a response to prayer. That's not you speaking back. So you want his dialogue to be confined to your timetable. I don't think that works. He could choose to answer you at a different time. He could choose to wait 20 years like he did with Jacob and not say anything at all. But that doesn't mean that he's not speaking back. He's just not doing it when you want him to. Jeremy? I think there's a difference here. Uh, 26 to 27 is talking about the intercession of the Spirit according to God's will, not prompting. That's diff- Intercession and prompting is, two, I, I would say, are two different things. Sure. There's another verse, by the way, and, and, I, and I'm sorry that I left the sheet at home. I don't have the verse in front of me. And it's the verse where, where we're told, and it's one of the Pauline epistles that says that the Spirit tells us what the will of the Lord is. Now, when he's saying that, he's meaning a very specific thing. He's talking about God's moral will, not some sort of day-to-day instructions on individual will. He's talking about what is the will of the Lord? What are the commands and attitudes that the Lord wants us to have? Now, that would make no sense if we have Scripture. Like, why would we need to know more? If it's, if, if it's just limited to what's in Scripture, maybe he was prompting us to remember things in Scripture. But the verse implies that that is part of the way that the Lord responds, by letting us know what the attitudes and the commands are that he has for his people. I'll look up that verse because it partially answers how the Spirit prompts us to know the responses or the things we're supposed to know and do. I want to address Jeremy's issue real fast because I found this thing. It's kind of interesting. There's a woman by the name of Barbara Bradley Haggerty who's written a book called Fingerprints of God. Now, she's moderately religious in some spiritual sense, so I, don't, I wouldn't call her a Christian. She's actually the religion reporter for National Public Radio, and she spent a year, I think a year to a year and a half, interviewing people about the intersection between science and spirituality. She spent time doing the very thing that those prayer studies we talked about were doing. She went around to scientists who were doing experiments into our brains and how they relate to spirituality. Here's an interesting thing she found a number of scientists were doing. They could actually put electrodes on our brains and hit a certain aspect of the brain, and they map out exactly where it is in our brain. And it's in the temporal lobes that if they actually put certain stimuli right into your brain you will have a mystical spiritual experience. The chemistry in our brain is such that they actually made a helmet. It's like a motorcycle helmet. You put it on, and it has the, the, the little electrodes right where they need to be, and then they start asking you, what do you see? And you see lights, and people have reported seeing angels, and people have reported hearing voices and visions, and all these things are being induced in the laboratory. So now what do we do with that kind of evidence? If it's true that you can actually stimulate the brain in a way to create spiritual experiences, yes, even hear voices, what does that mean? 
Does that mean that God is just made up in our brains? Because some people immediately say, that's what it means. I can reproduce God in a laboratory. But then there's the people on the other side who say, hey, wait a minute. We've known for years that if you stimulate the brain in a certain way, people will taste apple pie, even though there's no apple pie in the room. If you stimulate the brain in a certain way, people will hear music that's stored in their brain. Does that mean that music doesn't exist? Does that mean that apple pie doesn't exist just because we can reproduce the sensation in the brain artificially? So the question she asks in the book is, what does that mean? And the question I would ask from it even further is, maybe that's the way God communicates with us sometimes. Like if you were to hear an audible voice, what sense would God be using? Your ears. But it's still going through your brain. If you were to see a vision, he would be using your eyes, but it's still going through the brain. If you're going to have a dream, he's somehow working through the subconscious to have a dream, but it's still going through your brain. Maybe, just maybe, that's how God communicates with us is through our brains. And that our thoughts that come up may be one way that God communicates with us. Cormac? Um, I think, like, for example, in, um, in the New Testament where they talk about, like, faith the size of a mustard seed, like, that's not the smallest seed in the world, but, like, Jesus used that to communicate to them. I think God's the same way. Like, he, he uses what we know to communicate with us. So, and, like, every, everything that we think has to go through our brain. And in order to, like, process or understand anything, there's going to be activity in the brain. So I think that's just, that could be just like evident, like the result of God, like trying to communicate with us. Okay. Let's address that question for a moment. This is what I really want to get into. I just want to know what you think. Do you think that it's valid? I mean, are you excited about the idea that a lot of people, their response to, will I ever hear back from God? The response is, Yes, God's speaking through you, through those thoughts that come to mind. He's prompting those. Are you okay with that? Jill? Um, just in response, I'm okay with that. I think um, I'm an introvert, so it's easier for me to kind of live inside myself a little more, but I'm very comfortable with the idea that who we are and what we experience is very much not this out here. It's inside of us. It's what's going on inside of us. So that's what I pay more attention to. Can I ask you if you're okay with it? Do you think that God does speak to you that way? Like when you hear that, do you go, ah, you know what? I think that's consistent with my experience. Okay. Anyone else? Uh, I just want to agree with her. I think um, I am okay with that. And I do think that um, he has spoken to me in those ways. And I think the problem that it brings up is just, like it was one of the questions, like how do you know if it's God or not? And I think that that's something that comes through a lot of like experience and like testing kind of like um, what you said earlier. And I think even like in the Old Testament, like there are people who like tested, tested God, like, is this really you? And I think if God was like clearly spoke to us in like ways that we like knew thought that was God, they wouldn't have needed to do that. So I think I, I do like agree with that. And I think it's, it's supported biblically. Okay, Jeremy. I would actually say that I'm not, it doesn't make sense to me to say that I'm hearing anything or that those, that, those, that, that, that small voice is anything other than the, the right things I should be doing or the, the moral things that I should be doing. That can't be God? Well, it could be, it can't be. What I'm saying is I would not be willing to say that it for sure is that. That's all. Because... But that's the thing that brings us to the central questions that I think will hang us up tonight. 
Like, how do I know the difference between God's voice and my own is the central thing that comes up. Like, if we're okay with God speaking to us through our thoughts as one method, but I'd almost say the primary method, because it doesn't sound like we're going to hear audible voices and visions and dreams and angelic visitation on a regular basis. The only one left is through our thoughts. And if that's the case, how do I know which one's my voice and which one is a God-prompted thought? How do I know the difference? Somebody asked, how do I know it's not Satan putting thoughts into my head? Somebody asked, actually, another way, how do I know it's God, especially in places where it sounds like it's the right answer, where it's even harder. Like, I know somebody's like, if your thought is, go kill that person, like, you're going to think, okay, that's probably not God, right? That's the extreme example. But what about the one that's saying, you know, I think you should do this. You're thinking, well, is that just me thinking that? Or is that God helping to prompt that? Philip. I, I have a problem with the idea of our thoughts being, like, it, it seems a little bit arbitrary uh, uh, separation. Like, God could directly speak to me, like, through my thoughts, but I feel like, like the more you think about something, the more it is in your thoughts. And so, like, the more I study the Word, the more I know what God wants me to do, the more I'm going to think about what I should be doing. Then I might say, oh, that thought must be from God. Like, no, it's just because I've been doing what I should be doing, and so my thoughts are more along those lines anyways. I think that applies to things we're doing, but it doesn't apply to other things that we might want to have in our conversation with God. If our conversation with God is only to find out what the next directions are, then it goes back to my comments from last week where we're putting ourselves into a robotic mode again, and you know that I'm against that. So I, don't, I think that works in that case, but there's a lot of times when, actually, I don't want to know what to do. I actually just want to hear from you about something. And it has nothing to do with what I'm supposed to do. It's just, I'm, I'm honestly asking. And I'd like to hear, like, is there something in my life that I need correction for, Lord? Is there, is there something I haven't seen at all? Like, I'm not asking, like, should I do this or should I do that? It may just be something as simple as that or... Lord, I've searched the scriptures and I, 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 there's just something that bothers me about this and I want to present it to you. How great would it be if we knew that that thought in your mind sometimes that came back was actually God's way of responding? So it is very important that we figure out, is that just my voice? I mean, they might both be good things, but I'd really like to know if one of them is the Lord's, I'd like to know how to identify it. And if none of them are, good, I'll just move on and continue my nice thought life. Well, okay, like, to address the first point, like, I think that even if I said, hey, I'm not looking for direction, but I need a real sense of peace, like, I have crap going on in my life, I don't know, but, like, and then I'm just reading the scriptures, and I read through, like, how God provides peace, and I, or I just remember, like, parts of the scripture that I had previously read, and I feel the peace knowing, yeah, like, God is a God of peace. I don't know, I think it's presumptuous to expect all the time, and nobody in here, I think, would say, yeah, every time I pray, I'll expect this back. Like pointless because like if I, I I the way that I'm getting all of the, my own thoughts is because I'm have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me like I'm reading the Word like I'm being closer to God anyway so I'm already getting all these responses from God this is my response from God like I just have to work at actually reading it. If all we had to do was read the Scripture, then what's the point of even having the prayer? What's the point of having the relationship? We just follow the instruction. I think it. I think it undermines like God's actual living presence here and now, you know what I mean? Like they talk about like word with the, you know, the lowercase w, this, and word is Jesus, like himself. And and it undermines the idea, I mean, what, what happens with, 
You know, I mean, there are places in this world that don't have a translation of the Bible, and it would seem ridiculous to say that God couldn't reach them or speak to them or give him his actual living presence without them knowing what's in here. Yeah, and I want to highlight something that Philip said at the earlier part of that comment was he was talking about the, if I'm doing the things I should be doing, right? That sounds a lot like spiritual disciplines. That's actually the thing that opens us up to transformation. That's what led to this series was the last series on spiritual disciplines. So, right, I actually want to agree with that part. Like, if we are doing the things we're supposed to be doing, if we are actually spending time listening, in prayer, in meditation, reading the Word, doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, not as an end in themselves, but so they can transform us, then we are becoming more transformed and more Christ-like, and we will have already that closer connection because we're being changed. So that I totally agree with. But I think what we're really trying to get to here is something, again, much more simple. I think that all of us believe that if we're in relationship with this God, and we call him Father, and we're supposed to call him Daddy, as it says numerous times in Scripture, that we don't expect a one-way dialogue. We don't expect to just throw it up there and just go, all right, I did my part. Oh, yeah, and I'll read your book. Thanks. I don't think that's what we expect. Now, I agree that we shouldn't expect constant communication and chatter back the other way. So the question is still hanging. If we expect something at some point, if it's reasonable to expect that a relationship with our dad involves a response at some time, how do we tell the difference if he's using our thoughts? I'd like to point out that first, in humility, I don't know that we're going to answer this question. I don't know that we could ever know for sure. Some people seem to know for sure all the time. We talked about them last week. Some people in an overabundance walk around and go, the Lord said this, the Lord told me this, I heard from the Lord, the Lord wants me to tell you this. It's like, wow, you really must be totally in tune with the Lord. Because he's speaking to you more than he's spoken the entire scriptures. Amazing. So in humility, first, I think we have to acknowledge we'll never probably really know, and we should be very careful again with how often we're sure that the Lord has spoken to us. Even when we're pretty sure internally, I think we still have to sit in a posture of humility and say, this is a strong, strong sense. We can test our thoughts against Scripture. That's always a good answer. Test it against the Scripture. But you know what? I've heard a lot of people use Scripture for some goofy things. And you have too. And injurious things. So yes, test it against Scripture. Can I put that in quotes? Sure. Test it against Scripture if you know what you're talking about, if you've read it in context, if you know what the language is. If you, if you really are good at interpretation or you really have read and studied what you're talking about and there's other people who agree with you who are very learned about this point, yes, that's what I mean about test it against Scripture. And I'm not trying to be an intellectual snob. I'm just saying that people have picked out words and just used them and thought, I feel like the Lord's telling me this. And they go like flipping pages around trying to find something that will proof text what they're saying. And then they'll come and club you with it. Or they'll set themselves up and go, this is what I hear the Lord saying. They're citing the good times translation again, like we've said in here. Or even if they've cited the actual thing, it's totally out of whack. So be careful even when somebody says, you know, I've tested against scripture. It's like, right. That's why I think this third one is the best. Not just scripture, but with other people in the community. 
Very quickly, can you turn to Acts 16? There's this really weird passage that I always come across when I read Acts. And we referenced it last week briefly. It's Acts 16, starting in verse 6. This is when Paul, who I would say is pretty connected to God, he's in the apostolic age where it seems like God is everywhere and speaking and doing a lot in the early church. The Spirit has been unleashed. Paul has seen Jesus. He's reports that he later has a vision of heaven or actually is there. He doesn't know. He's a lot going on with Paul. Paul has a vision. But read, starting in verse 6, it says this, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. That's what's weird to me. The Holy Spirit kept them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. They don't tell us how they knew that. When they came to the border of Mesia, Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to enter Bithynia. Like, they don't explain how they know this. So they passed and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. So there, it's not even a thought. We have a vision. Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The reason I pick this out is because you think, wait a minute, he's not talking through thoughts. Paul received a vision, and they still had to conclude. That word conclude that we translate in English is actually a much stronger word. It means that we sat down together to deliberate. They didn't automatically conclude the way we think of it in English, like, oh, that automatically means we're going because Paul had a vision. Even when Paul had a vision. And you could notice just in these couple of verses here, the Holy Spirit seems to be all over the place. Don't go this way. Don't go this way. Here, here's a vision of the place you're supposed to go. You would think with all that stuff happening that they would just go, great, I'm on my way. But they have to spend time deliberating. And that's what I think the right testing needs to be. Luke, who's writing this, says that that's kind of the way we go. We packed up our stuff because we got together and concluded together or deliberated together about how we're supposed to do it. This is something that started happening in the Acts Church over and over, which is while the Spirit is totally active in the Acts Church, they still repeatedly use the words like, we thought it best that, we concluded that, we we thought it right that. Instead of God told us to, they actually had repeated counsels and discussions and deliberations together, and that's how they made decisions, by coming together. And that shouldn't surprise us, because that's the best way to test when you bring God's people, because all of us indwelt with the Spirit should be in unison if the Spirit is saying something. And even when we read things in Scripture, we still have to get together and deliberate. Because there's wisdom in the community. And this is where we in the West have gotten it wrong, where we think it's only me and God. God works through the body. God works through the church. God works through the nation of Israel. God works through people groups, primarily. So maybe one of the things I would commend to you is if you're hearing something and you want to know if it's true and you've looked through Scripture, you can do that. But sit with the wise people that are around you and let them wrestle with it a little bit. Deliberate with them a little bit about whether what you're hearing really could be something from God. Whether that's consistent. 
Because I believe the Spirit does work through deliberation of the body. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't allow people to speak on a Sunday night. It would just be like everyone else, where I just do a sermon, everybody just goes home. The reason I love letting people wrestle is because I believe the Spirit is speaking in the wrestling. And it's prompting us and shaping us even as we talk. One of the first things that convinced me that that might be the way that God speaks in this way is just a personal experience in my life. I had a friend at work who asked me a simple question once. If God wants me to believe in him, why won't he just show himself to me? Wouldn't that just make it so much easier? I mean, this is a pretty cruel God who plays hide and seek with me. If my eternal destiny hangs in the balance, wouldn't it make sense that if I said, Lord, let me see you, that I could just see him? You know, I was in a place in my life where I didn't know the answer to that question. Maybe as you sit here right now, you think, oh, that's simple. But I didn't know the answer. I spent a month thinking about this question. I actually spent another month like looking for answers, asking people I know, asking pastors. I must have just been like with a lot of people who didn't know anything. Because <laughs> a lot of people would say, I think I could answer that question, but I'll tell you, I couldn't. And I struggled with it, and I struggled with it because I really felt like I wanted to continue this effort of speaking to my friend about God, but I just couldn't have the words. And I wanted to give him a real answer, not like a ridiculous answer. I remember one night in my room praying on my knees, Lord, I want to know the answer to this question. Why won't you tell me the answer? Will you just, I, I'm not going to go for it. I'll never witness again. I'll never do anything again until you tell me the answer. It was like instantaneous that the verse came to me from Exodus where God says to Moses, you cannot see me and live. Where suddenly, instantaneously, like those verses from Isaiah came back, where Isaiah realizes in his vision that he's going to die because he's seen the living Lord. All of those things just came flooding into my head at that second. Now, you could have every explanation you want. It was already in your subconscious somewhere. Maybe you knew it. Maybe it was stored somewhere. It doesn't matter. In that moment, I actually think the thought itself was God's way of communicating with me. Suddenly, everything made sense. The whole question made sense. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I grabbed my Bible, I opened it up, I started flipping pages back and forth, and everything that I saw answered the ache of at least my heart. I was hoping it would answer his heart as well. I was so worried that I would forget about that, I called my voicemail like at work at 2 in the morning and repeated the whole thing into my voicemail because I thought, if I go to sleep and forget the answer, I'll be so mad. You know, again, there could be every kind of natural explanation you can come up with, but to me, the intersection of my specific request, and that's when it came into my head. Now, I don't think you can test God. I don't think you can challenge him like that. I mean, people did in the Bible. He doesn't have to respond. I'm not advocating a formula. Like you get frustrated and insist it happen and he will speak to you. I'm just saying, I know during that one time, that's exactly what happened. So I think he can speak very loudly through our thoughts and can communicate with us in that way. And I use the word speak on purpose because I think that primarily is the way that he might communicate with us. I'm becoming convinced of that. I see it in my own experience. I see it in the writings of others. It seems by the process of elimination, unless you're going to have many of those least likely things happening, that's probably the way it happens. I mean, if it's not inside my head, it's going to be audible. And I don't, like I said, I don't know anybody who's had the audible voice. And if so, it probably happens once in your life. And I hope that your relationship with God isn't one time where you had a conversation and he responded and that was it. I think that's not the kind of life we want anyway. 
So if it is the thought process, how do we know? In a sense, we can never be 100% certain. And that's why I said in humility, we have to admit that. Here's a couple other questions you asked, by the way, just so we're dispensing with them. I told you there's 75. We're not doing a 75-week series. Let's get rid of a whole bunch of them at once. Could God speak audibly? Could God speak through a vision? Could God speak through a dream? Could God speak through circumstances? Could God speak through others? Could God speak through a song on the radio? Could God speak through a movie? Could God speak through a sermon? I heard echoes of all of these in your questions. And the answers are? Yes. The question isn't, could he? That's not what a mature Christian is asking. The question is, did he? And that's the hardest question to answer. That's the hardest question to go, did he? God could do anything. That's the anytime we start with could God, I mean, it's like the answer is going to be yes. What's probative is, did he in the circumstance that you're thinking of? Or was it just coincidence? Or is God involved in that too? Let's leave it there and close up. I think we're moving to the end of this series. There's some remaining questions that we have to tackle. But remember, these are your questions. You asked them. I'm just trying to answer some of them. I didn't, I didn't think of how to word them. You did. Let's pray and close up. Lord, there's a part of me that feels like this whole series is kind of silly. Except for the part that I remember that there's a lot of us who've just given up because we didn't have any answers that really met our satisfaction. And Lord, I also confess that it's kind of new for us maybe to think about you speaking to us in that way. Some of us, maybe we've always been comfortable with this. Some of us, that's going to take some time to get comfortable. But Lord, our utmost prayer is that we want a God who's going to be able to speak back to us. And you have to forgive us if that's kind of presumptuous on our part to create God in our image. But when I think of a relationship or when I think of calling you Father, that's the kind of relationship that I'm looking for in my life. So Lord, whether it's through your Spirit indwelling us, whether it's through your word, whether it's through your community, the body of Christ, whatever it is, Lord, I want to see an increase of how I am in tune with what you're doing and how you're communicating with your body. I want to see that for myself and I want to see this for this group and for every believer, Lord. That's my honest prayer. And I would love to find ways to know that you are active in everything that's going on, including communicating with us. So Lord, let that be our prayer this week. May we become more attuned to find ways that you are communicating that we weren't aware of. May we slow down. May we turn the volume down. And Lord, more importantly, may we go back to engage those spiritual disciplines. May we not forget those. Those are the things that brought us to this series in the first place. Can we go back and take those seriously? And maybe, just maybe, if we become more Christ-like, All of these questions will just fall away because we'll just experience you in that way every day. That's our prayer. Pray this in your name. Amen.